It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. We've got your mailbag for this weekend ready to go. But before we dive into that, just a couple quick procedural notes. First, it's almost June, and June for the Locked On Podcast Network is off-season mode for the NFL channel, and the Bengals are one of those NFL channels. We will be cutting back a little bit for June, maybe part of July. So if you start to see fewer shows in a week, that is why. We'll make sure that we keep you up to date on everything going on, but there's simply going to be less stuff going on, especially after OTAs. So we will have you covered for OTAs the next couple of weeks. We'll have you covered for mini camp when James is there every day to watch what's going on. So don't worry, you won't be missing anything, but we will be cutting back a little bit, taking a little bit of a break recharging our batteries a little bit in the next couple months as we head into summer. Another procedural note before we get started is we know that iTunes is having issues. It's been hit or miss lately. So if you do regularly listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or another Apple platform and you don't see it on a day, it might be because in June we don't have an episode that day, but it might be because Apple simply has not grabbed our episode for whatever reason. So if it's a day when you expect an episode to be up, just give another platform a check. If it's Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. Most of those still seem to be working just fine. We seem to only be having issues with the Apple platform. So just something to keep in mind if you're regularly an Apple listener and you don't see the podcast on a given day. Last note before we get into the mailbag is the Bengals signed a backup safety. Kayvon Frazier comes from the Miami Dolphins. He will compete for the backup job with Trayvon Henderson and has a glut of special teams experience, topping 250 special team snaps in three out of his five professional seasons. Two of those coming in Dallas, 2017-2018, and then last year in Miami, 292 special team snaps. This team has lost a ton of special team snaps in guys like Clayton Fedulam and Seathan Carter the last couple of years. And I guess it shouldn't be surprising. Yes, they did bring in Ricardo Allen, but the safety depth behind Von Bell and Jesse Bates, you've got Brandon Wilson, who's a converted offensive player, and he's a great returner, but has kind of been okay as a safety would be how I would describe him. You've got a college free agent in Trayvon Henderson and at least I guess competition in the backup part of that room makes sense. And that's what Kayvon Frazier will be. Absolutely. I love the signing because at some point your best unit, and that's what it has been special teams wise under Darren Simmons, you need to, to add and not add, you know, rookies that are going to obviously meet their challenges as they adjust to life in the NFL. I'm not saying that rookies can't contribute on special teams. Absolutely. They're going to be have to, 
But bringing in a veteran like this that that can come in and be versatile and help Darren Simmons' unit, as you mentioned, losing Fedgelum, losing Seaton Carter, that takes a toll. And the Bengals don't have this, you know, amazing roster, an amazing coaching staff at, at this moment, an amazing talent where they can just be okay on special teams. If they're going to be really good, I think their special teams are going to have to be really good. Their offense is going to have to be really good from a point standpoint, and their defense is going to have to be at least okay. And that special teams box is one that you can't have a drop-off, even though you've had some of these really good special teamers sign elsewhere in free agency over the past couple of years. And an interesting point when you think about those special teamers is they do need to play a role on the team as well. Seathan Carter was an H-back. He could play a little backup tight end. Clayton Fedulin was a capable backup safety. Because in the NFL right now, you know, not many punts are being returned anymore. A, a relatively low percentage anyway, especially if you have a good punter. And most kickoffs don't get returned. If you need a kickoff not to be returned, your kicker should be able to kick the ball through the end zone with the current placement of kickoffs in the NFL. So those coverage units may be a little bit less important than they used to be. And I'm talking like 10 years ago or so, but there will be times that that is important and special teams certainly can swing games. So having capability there that can do at least something. If Kayvon Frazier can come in and be a capable backup safety, that would be something that the team needs. So adding competition there certainly doesn't hurt. I don't know if I go so far as to say I, I mean, you said you love the signing. It doesn't really move the needle for me, but I don't dislike the signing by any means, right? And so it couldn't hurt anything. And and from that regard, I, I see your point, and I do like that part of it. Yeah, I, I love it for what it is, right? Which is hopefully giving Darren Simmons another toy to play with because, to be honest, he's been the, the best coach on the team in, in recent seasons, and he's had that special teams unit playing at an elite level, and they're usually in the top five to 10 of the NFL. And that's the expectation year in and year out. And so and this is probably a guy in Frazier that he identified and said, Hey, if he's still out there, maybe we make a run at him. And they did. And uh, they were able to get him. So yeah, is it going to be the difference in a bunch of wins? I don't think so, but it's certainly something I like. Speaking of good coaches or coaches in general, let's get into our first mailbag question here from at almighty underscore Almac, the legendary number 18 on Twitter. What adjective, James, would you use to describe the temperature of Zach Taylor's heat going into the year? If you were the GM or the owner, would the temperature be different than it is in reality? Smoldering. I think that's a fair one. I, I think that there's certainly smoke coming from the chair. I think that the the idea of Zach Taylor getting off to a poor start could be enough in 2021, maybe not to get him fired midseason, but his fate could be sealed by the time he hits December if he gets off to a two and four, two and five type start. That being said, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have brought Zach back. <laughs> and so me personally, I wouldn't. I wrote that last year. I'm not going to change my mind now that the Bengals have made some moves this offseason that I like. But at this stage, I think it's fair to do that because if you're going to bring him back, it can't be he starts 0-3 and he's out of here, right? And there's an importance of a good start, but they decided to bring him back. And so I, I would have probably have the same level uh, of hotness, I guess, if I was GM or owner of the Bengals. It would be smoldering, and it's certainly a prove-it season. You know, he doesn't actually have the most likely odds to be the first coach fired this year. 
I believe that. Who is it? It's Mike McCarthy. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I I don't I don't buy that one either. I think that's just the Dallas stuff. But uh, I mean, Jerry Jones has, is not shy about firing his coaches. I, I think that that's the idea there. Like Jerry Jones could be on a hair trigger a little bit. Mike Brown, not known for a hair trigger in any sense of the word, you know, for the most part has a lot of patience, too much patience. A lot of times historically with his coaches, I would say that the seat is hot in terms of, will he be the Bengals head coach in 2022, but I don't necessarily think it's hot as in is there a lot of pressure for him to, to even finish the season? I think things would have to go terribly awry. And I think I've said this a few times for him to get fired in the first half of the season at all. We have a lot of questions to get you. James wanted to sneak one in here at the start. We'll finish up the mailbag in the next two segments coming up next. Bet online has you covered for all of your sports betting needs. They've got real time updated odds. They've got news and the NBA playoffs are going on. The Stanley cup playoffs are going on for hockey. And the most recent odds I've seen from BetOnline.ag that have come out are on comeback player of the year where Joe Burrow is plus seven fifty. by, by comparison, Dak Prescott plus two fifty. Saquon Barkley, a little bit more favored than Joe Burrow as well in the 600s. I think Joe Burrow's odds here are somewhat favorable considering the field he's going against, considering that he's a quarterback, considering his relative star to the rest of the league. Of course, Dak Prescott and that massive contract will get a lot of attention too, but there are some good candidates on this list. Joe Burrow, I think, has a strong chance. Go check out all of the odds And when you do, if you sign up for the first time, use promo code LOCKED ON, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code LOCKED ON at betonline.ag for a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The weekend mailbag rolls on with the Duke at the underscore Duke 68 asks, what percentage of offensive snaps do you think the Bengals are in 11 personnel this year with a clearly defined top three wide receivers and a feature back like Joe Mixon? I don't really see any reason that this is going to change significantly. They were among the league leaders, if not the league leader in 11 personnel last year, upwards of 75%, as I recall. And I do think that we'll see some schematic changes on offense. I think we've talked about this a little bit. They'll be more under center with Frank Pollock and an emphasis on the outside zone, which when we talked to Brian Callahan, you heard him say they're probably going to run more from under center because it's just much easier to hit the angles that they want guys to hit when those handoffs for outside zone running plays are coming from under center. So you're going to see that you're going to see a little bit more back to the line of scrimmage play action from the team. But does that necessitate you going out of 11 personnel? Probably not. When you invest in Jamar chase and you don't have incredible tight ends, there's no running back that screams, put two running backs on the field. There's no Alvin Kamara on this team. Obviously I think that they'll still be very 11 personnel heavy 
but you might see them shift a little bit to maybe a little bit more 12. Like I'm talking a swing of maybe 5% uh, away from 11 to 12 because if Drew Sample and CJ Uzama are healthy, I think they would have plans for those two guys. And if they're under center a little bit more, maybe they like having the two tight ends on the field and adding some variability out of that package when they're under center, using the outside runs, using some uh, play action passing and going to be very interested to see if they do any pistol stuff this year, kind of split the difference from under center and shotgun. And I was talking to, I think Bengal Sands about this on Twitter, uh, maybe last week, two weeks ago and incorporate some of those, those glance RPOs out of it. So you have these quick RPOs or pre-snap RPOs or, you know, try to get a quick read on the edge player. And, and then you kind of build that in too. So I don't necessarily think we'll see personnel changes, but I do think we'll see some other schematic changes that could lead to some little changes. You'll have some variance, but it's still going to be a heavy 11 team. Next question comes from Kyle Smith, Kyle underscore Smith, 1087 on Twitter. Who's one defensive player that you could see having a breakout season this year, James? Well, it was Jesse Bates last year. So let's look who, who could be that next Jesse Bates. And that doesn't mean necessarily that he becomes the top player at his respective position. But to me, there are, are a couple of guys. I don't think Trey Hendrickson meets this mold as a breakout. There's a reason you signed him four years, 60 million. There's a lot of expectations. He could have 10 plus sacks and, and that's just the expectation for him. Um, DJ reader, certainly a guy, I guess you could throw in that mix, but again, paid. I think he had that breakout year in year four for Houston before he signed with the Bengals last off season. So to me, it's, it's a couple of guys. Maybe it is a Logan Wilson. And I think how great would that be if Logan Wilson just looks exactly like they hoped and envisioned he would going into year two and just kind of takes control of that Bengals linebacker core. So that would be one. And another one here, Jake, and yeah, he's paid like it, but I don't think he's ever really had a breakout year and he could silence a lot of critics. Is it weird that I think Trey Waynes could be in this category? Like if Trey Waynes somehow, and I'm not saying we should expect that to happen, but if he plays well, I don't think he's necessarily ever had a breakout season. And I know he's a former first round pick and the Bengals signed him to a big deal, but man, I, I kind of think that people are down on him and rightfully so. If he plays well, plays like a cornerback one, I, I think that would be type of a, a breakout type year. So I, those are the two I'll go with. I think Trey Waynes, if he were to break out, would qualify as a breakout player. So uh, I see that one. Logan Wilson, I think, is the obvious answer. He's the one where you would think, like, here's a guy that showed a lot of flashes as a rookie. He had a couple games, entire games that he played really well, played well against Baltimore, for example, last year. And, you know coming off a of COVID year, coming from Wyoming, you would expect there to be a learning curve for a guy like Logan Wilson. And this would be the year that it comes together. I would go with a different cornerback though. And that's Jadobe Awuzie. He has been a solid player in Dallas before 2020, which was a bit of a down year for him because he was dealing with an injury, dealing with a defensive scheme change with the new coaching staff in Dallas. But coming to Cincinnati, he has a chance to get back on the horse and show that he can live up to his tools because he has a real tool shed, athletically speaking, and has shown some pretty spectacular ball skills throughout his time in the NFL. So if he can put it all together for a full season, 
Obuzier is a newcomer to this team that could certainly be a breakout candidate. And outside of that, I mean, the, the guys that are breakout candidates, when I think breakout candidate, I think guy that's been in the NFL for a while, like Jesse Bates, you know, at least a couple of years in the league, a year in the league, and then takes a huge step. So like you said, you could talk about DJ Reader. I think he's more of a comeback player than mm-hmm. than a, a breakout candidate. Larry Ogunjobi, though, if he if he really has a great year, there's a breakout candidate for you. He's been okay. He's had flashes. He's been inconsistent. If he becomes consistent with those flashes, that's a breakout player. You could say it about all three of the linebackers. I don't think you could really say it about either of the safeties. And I, I don't think you could really say it about Trey Hendrickson either. The other guy that I think could be a candidate, but I don't necessarily think it's likely, is Sam Hubbard. If he becomes a complete pass rusher and takes a step as a pass rusher this year, he's already a very solid run defender. One of the better run defenders in the NFL has an insane motor, and those are things you like, but a lot of his sacks are of the cleanup variety. If he puts together some pass rush moves, that could lead to a breakout kind of year for Sam Hubbard, even if he had eight sacks in his second professional season. The next question we have, James, comes from Jacob Gunkel at Jacob underscore Gunkel on Twitter. He wants to know what role we think Auden Tate will have this season with three clear-cut wide receivers as one through three ahead of him on the depth chart. Pretty much the role he's had (laughs) over the past, certainly last year, and, you know, where he might have a game or two where he has five, six, seven catches, right? I, I think about that 60-plus yard, seven-catch game he had last season. But is he going to have 40 receptions like in 2019? I don't think so, unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong in the Bengals' wide receiver room. And it's nothing against Auden Tate, but you have those three guys. You're going to work Mike Tom- Michael Thomas in there a little bit. And, yeah, I think Tate is the fourth-best receiver on the team. But... Is he going to get a ton of run? No, and we know he's physically limited. And he's just one of those guys where, yeah, I think he's capable of making some big plays at times. But 40 catches, I think that's too high. I expect him to be the the fourth or fifth receiver, kind of a guy that, again, has a, a game or two that's pretty decent. But overall, assuming these guys stay healthy, I, I just think he's more of a compliment than anything. I think it's probably like somewhere between last year and the year before. I think that he might get a little bit more run than his, what was it, 21 targets last year. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, A.J. Green had over 100 targets each. And they were probably on, actually, they were certainly on a much higher pace before Joe Burrow got hurt. So it'll be interesting to see how the the run pass percentage breaks down this year, as I do expect that there will be a little bit more emphasis on running the football while Joe Burrow is healthy, or, or with Joe Burrow returning to health, I should say. So I, I still think, you know, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, pencil him in for over 100 targets. It doesn't necessarily leave a ton. Giovanni Bernard and his 58 targets are departed, but a lot of those probably instead will go to Joe Mixon, who had 23 targets last year. He probably inherits another 30 or so this year which, by the way, is a reason to potentially be high on Joe Mixon as a fantasy running back in 2021. Drew Sample, 52 targets. I I see that number actually potentially coming down a little bit with CJ Uzama returning to the field, but could be similar. Not very many targets left 
after that, right? You, you have a smattering of targets here, a smattering of targets there. So something like 30 to 50 targets for Auden Tate, assuming health for the guys in front of him is, is probably pretty reasonable, but it could be a lot like last year too, where it's just 21 targets on the year and the guys in front of him just stay healthy and he's used as a rotational piece to give those guys a breather every now and then, and there's not a huge level of involvement for him. More mailbag questions to get to, James. We'll get to as many as we can coming up next. Built Bar is the number one protein bar on the planet for a reason. You hear us talk about them all the time here on Locked on Bengals. And it isn't that every single bar is covered in 100% chocolate or there are nine delicious flavors, plus there are limited time flavors, which you need to check out, by the way. But it's because of the macros. These things help you get in better shape. I've eaten Built Bars for years, long before I returned to the Locked on Bengals podcast because they're packed with protein, low in calories, low in sugar, perfect for you. So go to BuiltBar.com right now. Check out their coconut and coconut almond and cherry and raspberry and mint brownie and peanut butter brownie and everything else they have to offer. And when you're there, make sure you use promo code LOCK15 at checkout because you're going to get 15% off your first order. It's that simple. You want to get in better shape? You can do it by using promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The weekend mailbag marches on, James. And our next question comes from Josh Eads at jhockey24 on Twitter. He would like to know, out of all of the new additions to this team, James, who do you think? will make the biggest impact. Will it be a rookie? Will it be a veteran free agent signing? Who's your guess? Numero uno, the fifth pick, number one, the first number one in franchise history. It's Jamar Chase, and it should be Jamar Chase. And look, I was uh, high on A.J. Green going into last year, but it was bad, and it was bad for a variety of reasons. And think about the upgrade a guy like Jamar Chase can bring to this offense All of those times where Burrow struggled to find an open receiver, part of that was A.J. could not separate anymore, and I think there's going to be a difference. And who knows, maybe Green will have a good year in Arizona. I expect Chase to have a great rookie campaign for the Bengals. That doesn't mean he's going to have 1,400 yards like Justin Jefferson did in Minnesota, but I think he could top the 1,000-yard mark. I think he could be a game-changer, and I think he can open things up for T. Higgins, for Tyler Boyd, and certainly for the Bengals rushing attack and Joe Mixon. So to me, Jamar Chase, hands down. Yeah, that's definitely the easy answer, right? I'm trying to think (laughs) of, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not making fun of it. I I think it's probably correct, right? Like you would expect your top five pick most years to be the biggest difference maker on your team. And the other guys they bring in, who are the other candidates, right? Riley Reef. How much better is Riley Reef going to be than Bobby Hart? I think better. I don't know how much better, but I think better certainly tangibly better. So so there's one you could talk about being a big impact player. Jackson Carmen is another one that if he does hit the ground running the way this coaching staff thinks he can, could be big. 
right? So fixing the offensive line with those two guys on the right side, if they stay healthy, if they're better than what they had last year, which included a lot of Alex Redmond beside Bobby Hart, that's never gone well for the Bengals. That could be kind of a tandem that is a very big difference maker that works together as one. On the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you're mostly talking about replacements, right? So I don't think any of these newcomers are necessarily massive difference makers. Awuzie replacing Awuzie, well, really all three corners replacing last year's corners. The, the, the corners weren't bad last year. You know, the starters, the, the injured, the guys that were injury replacements were quite bad. So I think that, you know, the, the top five corner depth, you'll notice a difference in caliber of play compared to like LaShawn Sims and Jalen Davis and, and Winston Rose, not that there's anything wrong with those guys, but they're backup corners. So when they're facing starting NFL wide receivers, you know, and, and good NFL quarterbacks are going to get picked on and they did get picked on and it didn't go very well for the defense at times. So you look at the defensive players they bring in, I think they're mostly replacements. But the one guy I guess I would highlight would be Joseph Osai. That that brings a little bit of a speed rusher element, a little bit of a burst, uh, explosive rushing element they haven't necessarily had lately. I mean, even though Carl Lawson did have some of that, he didn't have the athleticism that Osai has. And so there's a chance there that he could make a big impact in terms of some splash plays as a situational pass rusher in year one. So so that's another name you could talk about. And I guess the last one, um, and I, I guess I'm eating crow here a little bit because I'm bringing it up and, and they drafted him and, and we know how I feel about drafting kickers, but Evan McPherson, if he's a kicker that the Bengals believe he can be when they chose to spend a fifth round draft pick there, James, having a kicker that can consistently make kicks you know, and, and gives you the confidence to attempt kicks from, you know, the, the 40 yard line. That is a pretty big difference maker. Trent Taylor. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He may I mean, make the team. You're he really stretching. I mean, I was stretching. You're really stretching. <laughs> Going to be such an upgrade from Alex Eric's. No, I like Alex. And I think some of the hate was a little much which I'm going to get a tweet or two for saying that next question comes from Connor holiday at degenerate CFB on Twitter. What do the Bengals need to do this season or in the future to become a desirable spot for free agents to want to come to Cincinnati? Win a little bit, man, establish some credibility for this coaching staff and the culture they're trying to build because they're already a more attractive spot for free agents simply because of the presence of Joe Burrow. And if, Joe Burrow is going to remain a Cincinnati Bengal and not go the way of Carson Palmer. Things need to get better. That's it. That That's the end of the sentence. Joe Burrow is not going to be a guy that's going to tolerate losing. You read Carson Palmer talking about when he was coming into the league, everyone told him, don't go play for the Bengals. Everybody told Joe Burrow, don't go play for the Bengals, at least in terms of what we heard nationally. Carson was mm-hmm. tell, Carson told told somebody that, it was his agents. Every agent that he interviewed said, hey, I have a plan to get you out of Cincinnati. And the, the agent he finally went with was the one that said, what do you want? And listen to him when he said he wanted to go play for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow has that parallel. He was ready to come to this team and turn things around. But if they don't turn around because they don't put the team around him that is required, they don't put the coaching staff on this team that is needed, and this coaching staff does or doesn't put it together, 
then things start to go south. They're no longer a desirable destination for free agents because Joe Burrow is disgruntled and he is the selling factor for this team right now. NFL players believe he is an X factor, believe he is special, believe he is a franchise quarterback. And if you want to remain a, an attractive destination for free agents that want to go win and want to be part of something successful, that starts and ends with Joe Burrow and your success around him. It's that simple. Is is winning. You have the quarterback. There are people in the NFL that probably think that Burrow is the best quarterback in the AFC North. And that includes a an MVP, two Heisman Trophy winners not named Joe Burrow, and a two-time Super Bowl champ, right, at quarterback. And, and I'm sure there are some that think that he can be the best quarterback in this division. And I, I just look at the Browns and how quickly things have changed, and it feels like they are somewhat of a destination. It could be that simple for the Bengals, plus they could have a better quarterback. But you got to start winning games, and th that's the key here. They can talk about culture, culture, culture. Culture is about winning. As much as it's about anything, it's about winning. And um, so you're right. If they win with Burrow next offseason, Cincinnati will be a destination. And it can happen that quick, but they got to win this year to make it happen. The next question in this week's mailbag, James, comes from Bengal Barrel at Barrel Bengal on Twitter. Does anyone know why the Bengals were lower on Tevin Jenkins than the player they ended up drafting in Jackson Carmen? I'm still scratching my head on that one. Well, part of it, I think, has to do with Jenkins' red flags medically. There's a reason why he fell out of the first round, and I get it. He was picked shortly after the Bengals traded back out of that 38th slot. But at the same time, they clearly had Carmen ahead of Jenkins, and part of that might have been medically. Part of that might have just been on-field play, character, work ethic, all of those things. And I'm not necessarily questioning Jenkins' character, and they might have liked him. But they clearly loved Carmen. They had uh, a, a direct pathway to get info on Carmen that they didn't get or couldn't get necessarily elsewhere, right? Willie Anderson uh, worked with him. Former Bengals offensive line coach Paul Alexander worked with him. And so they may just – it might not have even been about Jenkins as much as it was about Carmen and how much they liked him. So I think it was a little bit of both. I'm sure there's a medical issue or something like that. Uh, with Jenkins that knocked him down. At the same time, I think it was because they loved Carmen a lot and they were willing to take him at 38 ahead of Jenkins. And they also had a very clear plan to play Jackson Carmen at guard. And and that yeah. probably would have been the plan for Tevin Jenkins too. Jenkins, like Carmen, had some length issues, but Carmen is a better athlete. Jenkins does have some tape that's a little bit better, but it's not unanimously better. And there's certainly consensus that Tevin Jenkins was going to be this nasty mauling right tackle and was going to come in and be a plug and play starter. And when we went into the second round, James, you and I were thinking that too. But I also think that while the consensus wasn't very high on Jackson Carmen, there are a lot of people that looked at him and, and we talked about it. We talked about it with Mike Potts. We talked about it. I, I've talked about it with several others as well. When you watch, Carmen play tackle. He plays left tackle like a right guard. And you can very easily see how that translates. If they want him to pull, if they want him to make cutoff blocks, if they want him to get out in space, those are all things that he has the athleticism to do. He has, you know, slightly above average length for a right guard. He has great strength and athleticism for a right guard. So if they can clean up his feet a little bit, and I think that's easier to do in a phone booth than it is in space. 
and they can clean up his hand placement a little bit. And that might be a little bit more challenging with guys getting on you a little bit quicker at guard. Then you can have a very, very good guard. And, and he might have some flexibility to swing out to tackle. They also end up getting Deontay Smith later. And he has he was one of the few guys in this draft that, that has the, the long arms and has the elite length. And so if he develops as well, that's your developmental tackle of the future kind of guy. So I, I like the duo they ended up getting. I think if they get Jenkins instead, you know, our, our tune probably sounds a little bit different here. And we're, we're singing the praises of Tevin Jenkins because we're following him a little bit more closely. We've done our additional research on him and that's part of the the challenge of covering players once they're not drafted by the Bengals when you cover the Bengals. But I have talked to a few people that were not as high on Tevin Jenkins as consensus. So I do just want to point that out as well. It's not like everybody's on the same page here. And obviously the Bengals mm-hmm. were one of those teams. Next question comes from Joel Chandler. Can you guys compare the advanced metrics of Jamar Chase and John Ross The training camp drops, and Jake saying Chase had great hands in college has me worried. Yeah, he's thinking about John Ross because John Ross also didn't have issues with drops in college. But the primary difference between John Ross and and Jamar Chase is, well, actually, I guess there's several. One is is Jamar Chase is, is a bigger guy. He's a stronger player. He was more successful in jump ball contested catch situations in college. And... The other thing that I think is a pretty big factor, and it sounds pretty silly, but Jamar Chase has bigger hands. He has 70th percentile hands, and John Ross had tiny hands. And that is something we've seen occasionally be problematic for wide receivers, that the smaller hands do lead to some drops from time to time. We've seen that historically. The other thing that really feeds into this, and I know you wanted me to talk about advanced metrics, and I'm talking about fuzzy things right now, Jamar Chase believes in the jugs machine. John Ross didn't necessarily believe in using a jugs machine to just get those catches and those reps and the, the summer of 10,000 catches or something. That is a Jamar Chase thing much more than it is a John Ross thing. So I think there's a commitment level difference there. And I think there's a belief in training methods difference there. There's a physical difference there and there's a play style difference there. And all of those things kind of go together. Absolutely. A couple things. One, the, the summer of 10,000 catches where they're using the jugs machine at LSU. It, the, the reason why Ross wasn't in that boat, because I do think Ross worked hard. He was told, and I get it. It's at the same time, I would still probably use the jugs machine if I was an NFL receiver, but that you can't simulate the way a ball comes off of a quarterback's hands and every quarterback is different. And you, you want that. Well, that's true, but you can't have quarterbacks slur you 10,000 passes in a summer because you're going to need a bunch of quarterbacks. And so the jugs machine makes sense, and you can alter the speed and all of these things. And so I think it is beneficial. Two, there's a mentality difference. Let's go back to uh, so, so all the physical stuff, all the accomplishments, mentality difference. Think back to when Jamar Chase was drafted, and he's mentioned Chad Johnson, A.J. Green. I'm going to break all those records. It, it, it's just it's just different. And Jamar has the the mindset of a number one receiver. And I'm not trying to be mean to John by any stretch because I like John. I'm friends with John Ross, I, I, I would say. But there is a difference there. And, and so that's why I, I don't really worry, even though I brought it up in, in OTAs and one of my observations, because I think it is noteworthy ish. But I'm not worried about Jamar Chase catching the ball. I think he's going to be just fine. 
I'm about as worried about Jamar Chase's hands at the current moment as I am about him signing his contract. He's going to sign his contract. He's going to catch footballs. Everybody, everybody drops passes in the NFL. I, I don't think it's something that I'm currently concerned about. But hey, you know, we'll see. If he drops a lot of passes this year, I'm ready to change my tune. But I'm a believer in evaluating the facts that we have available to us. And I think that a couple of drops on day one of OTAs is a lot less meaningful than his drop rate over a full season at LSU and whatever drop rate we see out of his first full season in Cincinnati. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We've got Memorial Day coming up soon, but we will be talking with Hayden Winks, From Underdog Fantasy, he works with Josh Norris over there. We're going to have a fantasy football episode coming your way early next week. We'll also have some OTA coverage for you. And we'll have a special guest sooner than later. I'm just going to tease that. If you don't follow me on Twitter and you want to hint about who that is, it's, it's not very hard to guess, but you have to follow me on Twitter for it. I'll just say that. Until next time, Bengals fans, who day? And have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.